0: Let's pray. God, we need your help. We need wisdom. when we, do, we need direction. I just ask that you would unleash joy in here. I pray that we would be encouraged to become more like Esther and become more like Mordecai. We need more Esthers in this world. We need, we need more Mordecais in this world. And we thank you, God, that because of what you have done for us in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of people around us. We just don't have to be afraid. We can love them even when it's hard, and we can do the right thing because you're sitting on your throne. And we trust that you're reigning and ruling even when it seems like you're not. When things around us seem like you're absent, when they seem like you're gone, the book of Esther screams out to us that God is there. You are there. You're present. You're working and you're shaping things and you're, you're sitting there not on your hands. You're, you're shaping and molding with your hands. You're at work. And so we trust, God, that you're going to lead this time, the last three chapters of Esther, close it out well. We sit under the authority of this very word I'm about to preach. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, the story of Esther is connected to every other story in the Bible. It's the story. I mean, if you kind of take a step back and zoom out from Esther and get up here and kind of take the story of Esther and then look through the lens of Esther to the rest of the Bible, you see this is the story of the Bible. What we see today is the story. It's the big story. In the Old Testament, we see types of Christ, and they're everywhere, from the pages of Genesis to the pages of Malachi, and then all of... Matthew to Revelation the story of Jesus is everywhere but in the Old Testament we see types of Christ everywhere redemptive work is a type of the redemptive work that Jesus would do when God saves the day in the Old Testament it's pointing us to a bigger story about God saving the day through Christ on the cross and through the resurrection and when we see in the Bible stories of that, we're reminded that the Bible really is about Jesus. It's not just disconnected stories. So when Jesus is explaining to the religious leaders in John chapter 5 about what the Bible is about, he's saying, hey, hey, listen, uh, you think that by reading and studying this book alone, you're finding life. But if you don't see that this book is about me, you're missing the whole point. The book is about Jesus and what he has done for us. And Esther, chapter 8, verse 10, shows us what God did for the Jewish people, but it's not just the story of the Jews. It's not just Israel. It's our story as well. This is a story about what God has done for us. The joy, the fighting, the feasting, the ruling that we see at the end of the book of Esther is our story of joy, fighting, feasting, and ruling. And this is what God has done for us and what God is doing for us now. The movie Matrix, I'm going to blow some of your minds here. The movie Matrix came out 20 years ago. Can you believe that? 20 years ago. goodness gracious. In that movie, if you've not seen it, I mean, you should have already. And kids don't yet. And and actually, talk to your parents about that, actually. Maybe you shouldn't see it. I haven't seen it in a long time. But the movie, in the movie, there's like this big needle that goes in the back of, of the heads of people in that movie. It just kind of goes right here in the back of the head, and you can download all this kind of stuff into human beings like like martial arts and information. You remember that? You remember you could do that in the movie Matrix, okay? Well, today, here's what I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for like the the joy that we see on the streets of Susa in this capital city of Persia. The joy that we see throughout the Persian Empire. I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit will kind of take like a metaphoric needle and shove it into our head and just inject a bunch of joy and that we would run through the, uh, the city streets of Susa and run through the, the the Persian Empire with our fists in the air screaming and jumping for what God has done for us. <laughs> that's, that's what I hope happens today. I hope a big joy party and we just jump up and down and woo! Like the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, what would happen at the Lockhart house. You Jumping up and down, screaming and I pray and hope that that happens for us This morning. So joy, fight, feast, rule. We're going to look at joy first in Esther chapter 8, verse 1 through 17. Esther chapter 8, verse 1 through 17. Turn your eyes and your attention there with me. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now, what an ironic twist of providential fate. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept, pleading with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out his golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose. "...and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. For how can I bear to see... For, oh, I missed the line. "...for which he wrote to destroy the Jews, who are all in the provinces of the king." For how can I bear to see the calamity that's coming on my people or coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay his hand on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring, For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, for which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors, of the officials in the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each in its own script and to its own people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script, in their language. And he wrote in the name of King Hazarus and sealed it with the king's signet, signet ring. Then he sent letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force or people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On that one day, throughout all the provinces, King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy was written and was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on the swift horses that were used in the king's service, and they rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in, the, in Susa, the city capital. Then Mordecai, "...went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city where the king's command and edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday." And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves to be Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So, so okay, let's rewind a little bit. Haman is now dead. Uh, George and Cale, I heard, did a fantastic job. I'm listening to both of those sermons this week. They will be online this week. Did a fantastic job. But to bring us up to speed, uh, mean old Haman is now dead. He had been hanged on the gallows. But now what? Because the edict of King Ahasuerus has still been out there. It's not been revoked. So Esther has to come and talk to King Ahasuerus. Because what good is it if the enemy is defeated, but the Jews are still going to die? It's not yet a win for the Jews if Haman's just dead, but the edict hangs over their head and their day of judgment is coming. So there's still grief. It's not The victory has not yet been won because there's still grief going on with Esther and Mordecai. So she goes and approaches the king and begins to talk to him. She tells him who Mordecai is, reminds Ahasuerus, tells him who Mordecai is, and then Morde- Mordecai is given the king, given the signet ring that the king had given Haman. Haman was hanged, the ring was taken away, and now instead of you having it, Haman, now Mordecai has it. Mordecai is now the second most powerful man in the Persian Empire. Mordecai is given that ring. Esther then begins to plead for her people. And King Ahasuerus tells Esther and Mordecai, Okay, you can now write a new edict as you pleased, and it will not be revoked. Now, why on earth couldn't he just simply revoke the previous edict that he made? And Andy, help me out with this this week. If you remember, in the book of Daniel... When, when Nebuchadnezzar's uh, guard came out and their, their lawmakers and writers and the people tried to throw Daniel under the bus and they got the king to write an edict that could not be revoked, that if Daniel was to continue to pray, he would have to be thrown, or anybody, they would have to be thrown into the lion's den. And this edict could not be revoked because it was of the law of the Medes and the Persians. Actually, in Daniel chapter six verse fifteen, it says this: Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "O now, O king, that it is the law of the Medes. No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be can be changed." So here's the deal: It was shameful, in the, according to the law tradition within the Medes and the Persians, it was shameful for a king to go back on his word. So for him to say, just kidding, that edict is no longer an edict, would have brought shame upon King Ahasuerus. So there had to be a counter edict that was made. And what was that counter edict that was made? A new decree had to be established. Ahasuerus gave Esther and Mordecai the power, and so in verse 9 through 14, we find that they give a new edict. They counter the previous edict. Look with me in verse 9 again, starting in verse 9. Actually, verse 11. Look at verse 11. They said that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate any armed force or people or province that might attack them, children, women included, and to plunder their goods. So here was the counter edict. Any forces that came against the Jewish people, even if it was an armed woman or child, any armed forces that came against God's people, the Jews, the Jews could defend themselves and destroy their enemies. So those who went along with the first edict had to know, they knew, okay, I'm going to have to go up against the Jewish people if I want to try to defeat them. So this new edict went out, and God's people celebrated And not only that, there was a fear that went throughout all the Persian Empire of the Jewish people. A fear. So people were calling themselves, who weren't Jews, Jews. They were saying, I'm a Jew also. I'm a Jew also. I'm a Jew also. Because they were struck with fear. So just like the edict of Haman infected the whole Persian Empire... Now, the new edict would go as far as that evil edict went. It would go as far as the curse is found. The edict went out through the Persian Empire. This new edict went out through the entire Persian Empire, and it changed everything. So now, there is joy In the streets I want you to see joy in the streets what happens what happens when a victory or a battle is won well people do what do they cry and moan about it or do they celebrate I love this because in verse 15 we find that Mordecai went out from the presence of the king he was all dressed in his royal garb and it says that he marched into the city streets of Susa and he started shouting and rejoicing shouting and rejoicing yes woo! Yes! Yes! We're not going to die! Yes! Yes! God has done something! Yes! Shouting and screaming in the streets. More excitement. Remember in, remember in the office, I love this, there's a scene where, um, m- m- remember the guy who worked in the basement and he started dating Kelly for a little bit? What was Daryl? Daryl and Kelly were dating and Kelly broke up with Daryl and, and to get back with Ryan, the temp. And the, the next scene is Daryl's you know, walking through the city just all excited. Andy remembers that, I know, but he is excited and just walking with a strut. And I can imagine through the streets of Susa, walking with a strut with fists in the air, Mordecai. Yes! Because that's what you do when you win a victory. That, that's what you do. You celebrate, you get excited. There was joy, not just in the streets. Of Susa. But in every nook and cranny of the Persian Empire, as this news went out, the reverse infection happened. People began to celebrate. There was gladness. There was joy. It says there was light, gladness, joy among the Jews, feasting, and a holiday. It's time to celebrate. Mean old Haman is dead, and we're about to defeat our enemies. If you want to come against us, you're going to have to deal with all of us. Fight is the next thing we see in chapter 9, verse 1 through 16. So we see the joy. We see the joy. Now, fighting ensues. The decree had gone out, but the day was still to come when there was going to be a group of people who was going to go with the first edict that King Ahasuerus had. And that went out, and there was a group of people who were arming themselves. And they were still saying, we're going to go with the first edict. The Jews may come against us, but we're going to take them down. We're with King Haman, or we're with with mean old Haman. Maybe there was loyalties that still laid there, but apparently there were 75,000 people in the Persian Empire who still wanted to come against the Jews. So the night before, they're getting their weapons ready, probably stayed up all night long, and they're looking for, in their villages throughout the Persian Empire, any Jews that can be found to take down, because they want to kill some of God's people. So they sharpen their blades, and they eat that last meal And they fill up on bread and steak and energy, you know, man food. And the men are ready to go out. And apparently, even some of the women and children took up arms. And they wanted to kill God's people. So God's people were going to have to fight. The NAB had been defeated, but they had to go to battle still. Look at verse 1 through 16 in chapter 9. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, in the thirteenth day of the same... When the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred, and the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. So those were seeking their harm, and the Jews began to gather and said, Come get us. Here we are. We're not hiding. Come get us, if you may. The Jews gathered throughout the cities of the province of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. And the officials of the provinces and the the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful." The Jews struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, as they did, and they did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the city capital itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed that name, Dolphin, and Astapath, and Peratheth, and Adelia, and Athredia, and Permeshtia, and Arishia, and Eridai, and that there, the V1. Ten sons of Haman and the son of Hamathatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plumber, plunderer." It keeps going. "...that very day the number of those killed in Susa's city was reported to the king, and the king said to Queen Esther, "...and Susa, the citadel the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What have they done to the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It will be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled." And Esther said, If it pleased the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to the day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. Apparently they were killed, and now they're going to be hanged on the gallows. So the king's command commanded this to be. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews with Susa gathered and on the fourteenth day of the month, and they killed three hundred men in Susa. But they laid no hands on the plunderer fight. God's people were given authority to fight by the Persian empire. This wicked empire who did not know God was on the side of God's people. Fear, the fear of God fell upon them. Authority was given to Mordecai and his legend began to grow. People began to be afraid of God's man. So they had the queen, and they had this Mordecai, God's people in power in the Persian Empire, and people still came against God's people, and they began to fight. They stood in the streets, come get us, we're not afraid. And those who did come, came, and there was a slaughter. Haman's sons were killed in the slaughter, and then apparently, as stated, they were... in the Bible... They were hanged. They were hanging in the streets. The Bible isn't as clean and neat as we would like it to be sometimes. These are real people. Esther wanted them hanged, so they were hanged. In total, we find in verse 16 75,000 people came against God's people to kill them, and instead they were killed. There was a change, there was a reversal. We see it in verse 16. Now, the rest of the Jews, who were with the king's provinces also gathered to defend themselves. You see that? Defend themselves. They didn't go on the offense, they were defending themselves and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunderer. God's people, after the enemy had been defeated, had to fight. The next thing we see is this feasting. What do they do? So there was joy, there was fighting. And 75,000 of them were defeated, and then they began to feast. Look at verse 18. The Jews, oh, excuse me, verse 17. This was on the 13th day, the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the, four, on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in rural towns Hold the fourteenth day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and feasting, as a holiday, as on the day in which they send gifts and food to one another. Verse 20, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and the fifteenth day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month in which they had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and mourning into a holiday. They should make them days make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts and food to one another as gifts for the poor. So the Jews attempt, accepted what they had started to do, and Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Amadetha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and cast purr, that is lots, to crush them and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they faced in this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews finally obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. What do you do when the enemy is defeated? When your energy is depleted, you feast. You eat and you celebrate day in and day out. They were obligated to remember their salvation and their offspring were obligated to remember this day when God saved his people and without fail, God's people have continued to celebrate Purim to this day. Israel has continued to celebrate that. We celebrate it by celebrating Jesus. After you fight your enemies. You need feasting, and that's what they did. And then it didn't end there. It didn't end with party in the streets. It ends with ruling. They would begin to rule along with King Ahasuerus. Look at verse 29, and we'll finish this chapter out. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abahel, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this letter about Purim. Letters were sent throughout to all, all the Jews, to the 127 provinces the kingdom of Ahasuerus in the words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed season and Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to the feast and their lamenting the queen the command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing we'll finish chapter 10 as well King Ahasuerus imposed a tax on the land and the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, and they are not written, are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the king of Mede and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with a multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. <sighs> a lot of reading. Rule. Joy. Fight, feast, rule. Esther and Mordecai are now ruling alongside of King Ahasuerus. Not only were the Jews saved, not only did they defeat their enemies, not only did they feast in the streets, as if all of that was not enough, now they are ruling. Joy, fight, feast, rule. Now I want to connect some dots. This is where it's going to get fun. It's been fun hopefully already. We're going to connect some dots. This story is your story, if you're a believer. And it's my story. It's the story of the church. It's the story It's the arc of the universe. This is where we're going. And this is what we get to experience right now. Okay? This is our story. Joy. Fight. Feast. Feast. Rule. What does it mean for us? First, joy. The enemy has been defeated. Not just Haman. Our enemy. The enemy of our soul. The enemy who rebelled against God in the beginning. The enemy of sin and the enemy of our flesh. It has been defeated. Jesus has defeated and cut the head off of the true Haman, Satan. Satan has been defeated. It's a past tense defeat. His head is severed. The bite can still hurt, but he is defeated and his works are destroyed. John 1 John, 1 John 3, 8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil are destroyed. His power is not the same as pre-cross. The enemy has been defeated. He will finally be, be fully cast out, but he has been defeated. The head is chopped off. The nerves are shaking. He's bleeding. He has been defeated, and his works have been destroyed. John 12, 21. Now judgment is on the world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. The enemy cast out. Jesus didn't come just to hurt him a little bit. He came to destroy his works and cast him out of here. The enemy's power is not the same now as it was in the Gospels. It's not the same now as in the Old Testament. The ruler of this world has been defeated and cast out. His power is diminished. He is done with. He has some minions that still do some work out here. But we give far, far, far often, far, far, far too much credit to the enemy when Jesus came and severed his head. The enemy, the enemy has been defeated. And his eternity is secure. In the opposite way that your and I's is. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Haman was put to open shame thinking he was the man and found out that he was not the man and he was exposed to public shame. The enemy, rulers and authorities have been put to open shame and Jesus has triumphed over them. Not he will triumph over them, Jesus has triumphed over them our sin also has been dealt with it's not just the enemy Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says this so Christ having been offered once offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with the sin not to deal with the sin Jesus return is not to deal with your sin he's dealt with your sin he's dealt with it but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him Jesus has dealt with our sin, defeated our sin on the cross and through his resurrection. Therefore, therefore this world, this this earth, like Carbondale, Southern Illinois, who we prayed for, Illinois, the western hemisphere, the eastern hemisphere, the north, the south, this whole globe, this whole cosmos belongs to Jesus. It's actually his. It's not owned by the enemy. It's not owned by humanity to determine what to do with it. It's owned by Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, "...for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. By the grace of God, we had the most humble swagger, not in ourselves, but in the God of the universe ever. We get to march in the city streets of Carterville, Carbondale, all of southern Illinois, Anna, wherever we live, with hands lifted high. Jesus has won. Yes, the enemy's been defeated. It's happened. Yes, we've won because he's won. Why, why, be, why be in sorrow? We've won. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated mean old Haman. And now we have the power to fight just like them. Now let's go to war. We need to tell this earth, tell this world, this Carbondale, this city belongs to God. It's the Lord's. Carbondale, Southern Illinois, this is the Lord's. And where we go, we put our flag in the ground and say, God owns this place. This city belongs to God. They don't know it yet. Southern Illinois belongs to God. They don't know it yet. Illinois belongs to God. This earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is A battle that we are called to fight. We fight for what Christ has won, knowing that we will see it with our eyes. There's going to be a day when this earth is remade and reborn, and everything that Christ purchased will come to a reality. We will live here on this earth, redeemed and restored, the fruit of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. This is God's place. Consequently, this is ours. We own this place. This is ours. We fight sin knowing that the battle has already been won. We fight the forces of darkness knowing that Jesus has defeated them. We fight our sinful flesh, knowing fight our sinful flesh, knowing self-denial is the way to Christ likeness and real joy. Jesus owns the world. We fight for his glory in it. The earth is the Lord. Our job is to go tell them, you're gods. Repent and believe. Feasting. Christians have always been people of feasting. Now there's a difference between debaucherous parties and victorious feasting. There's a difference between a college party four blocks from here and Christian feasting. There's a gravitas to it that can't be experienced through indulgence of drinking and eating until food's coming out of your nose and every other place. But Christians feast. This world knows how to try to eat, drink, and be merry, but we actually know how to eat, drink, and be merry. We know how to enjoy feasting thinking about the God who gave it to us. We get to actually do this. God gave Adam and Eve a garden full of food. Full of food. Here, this is all yours. The enemy came and tempted them, tempted Eve, with one piece of fruit. One. One piece of fruit. Here, they had the whole garden. Freedom. Eat all that. There's feast. This is all yours. Bounty. It's yours for the taking. The earth. It's, It's yours, Adam and Eve. And the serpent comes and says, here's one piece of fruit. That you're not supposed to have. Look how wonderful it is. Within Adam and Eve and within all of us, we're like, oh gosh, that God is holding back on us. I mean, he's gave us everything, but that one piece, that one piece of fruit, hmm, looks delicious. They took and they ate. It was one piece of fruit that the enemy tempted Eve with, one. But God knows how to wine and dine his people. He does not hold back. Jesus shows us the glory of a holy party in John chapter 4. Jesus was not a fuddy dud at the party, his arms crossed in the corner, not dancing. He wasn't the guy crying out, give me the grape juice, give me the grape juice, I'm not drinking that. God knows how to wine and dine his people. God himself tells his people in Deuteronomy 14 with the price that the tithe when God's people would go and there was a caveat given to the tithes. If the year that God determined where the tithes would be, if the people weren't able to make the pilgrimage, then God told them instead of giving it to me, use it on yourselves and enjoy it. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, God tells his people who couldn't make the travel the distance to where he had told them to go and give tithes. He tells them to spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And this is something lost in our day. Holy feasting often becomes gluttonous gossip fests instead of celebratory experiences of the bounty. And there are times when we get victory over sin where we need to take the best food out of the pantry and we need to make the big meal at home and say, you know what, i got victory today, tonight we're going to celebrate. And honey, we're going to get out the bottle we've been waiting on for the last 15 years and we're going to celebrate the work of God in my life tonight. We're going to celebrate that the battle has been won and there has been victory over sin today and we're going to take out the the pork and we're going to make the pork steak and we're going to celebrate through getting out the cloth napkins and just enjoying the bounty. God has made our cabinets full and tonight we're going to enjoy it. There are times that we need to celebrate victory over sin even if it's just one day. God, thank you that I've not been defeated today. Thank you that there's been progress today. Make the best meal you can and enjoy every flavor and every single bite to the glory of God. Oh, God, thank you. This is yours. You gave it to me. We are on our way, after all, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he will withhold no good thing from us. If you're the fuddy dud at the party now, I tell you what, all that pent-up, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, i like, look, at they're enjoying God's grace. It's going to get a little wild and crazy in a holy sort of way, not in a debaucherous SIU sort of way. Feasting, ruling, what about ruling? This world is ours. Esther and Mordecai are types, not just types of Christ but types of God's people. Jesus currently has all authority in heaven and earth. Remember when we talked about the Great Commission? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Not all authority in heaven and some authority on earth. All authority in heaven and all authority on earth. Jesus has the authority here. Right here. Every house here, he has authority. Every neighborhood, nook and cranny you can go into, Jesus has authority. There. In the exact same way, he has authority in heaven. And we are commissioned by Jesus to take his rule and authority to the nations. His rule spreads through gospel advancement and one day he will return. And when he does, this earth will be transformed and it will be given to us. He has brought blessing and he will have brought blessing in the same way that the curse went throughout all the Persian Empire. When this new edict went out, when this resurrection of sort happened and the new edict went out, it infected, for the positive, all the Persian Empire as far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. All across this land, all across this earth, as far as the curse is found, blessings will flow. We're going to end in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, starting in verse, verse 1 through 5. I want you to just listen to this, 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brought as bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding It's fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. His servants will worship Him. It's us. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Who's going to rule this place? You, king, queen, rulers of this earth. Really? It says it. It's not just Esther and Mordecai and Susa. This story is our story. In verse 3, it says that we will be worshipers. They will worship him. This is our, we will worship God forever. We will worship the God of the universe forever. And in verse 5, it says that they will reign forever and ever. You and I will be rulers of this place. Under the rulership of Jesus, men and women, boys and girls, this room is full of Esthers and Mordecais. The book of Esther is our story. Let's bring it back in to the theme of Esther, kind of the whole theme of the book of Esther. And here's what it is, God's providence. If there has ever been a time in history, in the history of the world, to wonder, is God really here with us? Is God really active? Is God really doing something here? Is he really on his throne? Is he really all-powerful? If there was ever a time to ask that question, it wouldn't have been today. It would have been in the day of Esther it would have been when Haman issued his decree to kill all of God's people with an irrevocable de- decree from the most powerful king in the known world at the time if there was any t- any time in the history of the world to wonder is God really at work seriously a decree just came out from the Persian Empire and we're all doomed we're all gonna be slaughtered on the same day what the book of Esther reminds us all is that God is more powerful than the kings of this world God is more powerful than the kings of this world. The wicked decree and the glorious rescue was a part of God's plan for Israel. They would be able to, to look back and see that even the most powerful kings of this earth are a drop in the bucket compared to God. And I want you to listen to me really closely. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We are on the winning side. We can look at the news, we can see what's going on, and it's easy for us to think, we're doomed. (laughs) And you and I may get the privilege of being in prison together one day. Maybe. But here's what I know, if I sit in those prison cells with you, we're gonna win. We're gonna win. It may seem like God's people are losing and God's plan is nowhere to be found, but God knows what he's doing. His purposes are marching on. He wins. We win. Jesus is Lord. Let's stand up with courage and without fear and be like Esther and Mordecai. And may we, even now, march through the streets, even if it's in our heart as we sing, with our hands clenched, jumped up in the air, doing the fist pump, saying, he has won. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. This is, I I love the book of Esther. It's been a lot of fun. Didn't know it all that well before we got into it. And it's awesome. I just, I thank you for the story. Uh, So many people, so many in our lives, we just feel like, God, you're absent. And the book of Esther says, uh, no, God is not absent. He's working. Don't be arrogant enough to think that he's got his eye off you. The proud shake their fist at God and say, God, where are you? God, humble us to know that even when you feel like you're absent, you're with us. You're here. You're working. You know what you're doing. You're smarter than us. Shocking as that may be, you're smarter than us. And your ways are better than our ways. And God, we see this. And all these things, I I just pray that we just unleash joy. Jesus, we win. You've defeated the enemy. Like, let's, let's go to war knowing the war's been won. It's just help us. As we sing, Holy Spirit, just do a work. If anybody needs prayer, I pray that they would get it by somebody in their row or with somebody in their row or they would kneel and pray to you or come talk to me. Holy Spirit, just lead us. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.